The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. You are listening to the 23 Personnel Podcast, where food and sports clash at the goal line. Here are your hosts, Spencer and Michael. All right, everybody, welcome back to the episode of the 23 Personnel Podcast. I had to fight the urge so hard to say we're back. I'm your host, Spencer, joined by Michael. Hello, everybody. Um, it's just because we're back we, in the normal recording setup. We're are you are you saying you're back because that's the Ellinger quote or just yeah. that we, even though the SEC really wanted Texas Tech, we're still here. We're back in the Big 12 <laughs> just back. because we love the Big 12 so much. We, you know, the Elite Eight, whoever, whatever we're calling ourselves, we're just fully committed to the Big 12. That's why we're back. Fully committed. Glad um, to be here. Yeah, man. Glad to be I'm back from vacation too. Um, probably notice I don't sound 100%. How course, dare you? Your voice is just velvety as ever. I got sick like the day after we left. Mm. Like, so we get to Dallas Friday, a week ago Friday, whatever. It's been like 10 days now. Saturday, the baby starts coughing and not feeling well. And then I start coughing and not feeling well. And it I That's think it starts. I think what I had it was allergies or just the change in environment, humidity, whatever. Like it just escalated from a runny, sneezy nose to just uh, a sinus infection. The baby's got say, something please, else. Please, please give us some more details. No, I, I wasn't going to tell you the color or the consistency. Or... <laughs> Anyways, no, it's not that big of a deal. Um, yeah, I'm I'm on the mend. I had a sinus infection. Sucks. We had to cancel so many things on our vacation. We play, like we still ended up going on the tour of the Rangers ballpark, Globe Life Field. Didn't take the baby. He was the most sick. I I just like I said had a little bit of a sinus infection. I felt great that day. I was like, okay, I'm fine going. But like, anyways, off and on. Baseball heels. Baseball heels is what you're trying to tell everybody. But we had to keep. Like, we we were gonna go to the aquarium, the zoo, do all kinds of. Oh, man. touristy things with the kids and did nothing. We sat at my mom's house for a week, which is fine. Anyways, I'm also really excited that we're like two weeks out from Texas tech football. Two weeks. I, I'm speechless, which is a perfect, a perfect uh, stance to have for someone who's co-hosts a podcast. I'm just speechless. I'm really excited about it. Obviously when baseball, I goes, don't know why. <laughs> Baseball goes into into June into super regionals. We took uh, essentially every other week off, but we, we would record two episodes at a time and just release them out. So summer's gone by really quickly. Now we're middle of August. School starts for the 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 oldest here. He's seven. Had his birthday this weekend. Going to second grade. Can't believe it. Football starts in a couple weeks. My nephews had their first scrimmage last Friday, the 13th. I was like, holy crap. Like they haven't even started in school yet, but they're scrimmaging. 
I think their first game is next weekend for the Abernathy Antelopes. Gonna go be a Lopes fan. Uh, anyways, long story short, football season is here. Why I'm really excited and pumped. We're only talking football tonight, Michael. Yes. Last week, if you did, if you missed it, we went live on Spotify Green Room with some friends from Staking the Plains. We had Seth and Kyle join us, help us test it out. They had great discussion over there. We are excited to be doing more Green Room broadcasts starting in two weeks, September 4th. After the game versus Houston, Michael and I will go live on Spotify Green Room to do our instant reaction post-game show. And on this new platform, you guys are welcome to join. Give us your thoughts, feedback, and reaction as we're doing it live. Guys, Spotify Green Room is the live audio-only sports talk platform free to download and to use. Talk to us fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. Start or join ongoing conversations, watch games together, react to the biggest news, rumors, and games. Join in conversations with me and Michael and have a chance to be featured on the 23 Personnel Podcast. Like I said, we'll be hosting rooms every week Saturday. We'll set a time here in a little bit. Come through and talk with us live. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app. It's free in the iOS and Android Google app stores. Create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the group. Follow me, Spencer Rogers, Michael McDonald. Be notified when we go live. Come with your spiciest of sports takes. Man, I had a notification right before we started recording that I almost wanted to postpone our podcast because I was notified. I'm not for sure which feed this came from, but there's apparently a Spotify green room right now of people discussing the creepiest I saw that true true crime podcasts on <laughs> I was also intrigued like man I should what, like man, we, we should just take in the maybe we should just chime in on there and start talking about tech football and see yeah. if they would have gone with it but guys over there you'll you'll search for us by name um women go live you can join you can listen to our discussion you can request to join us and talk with us you can chat with other listeners uh all that kind of stuff we're also be posting the recording uh, as we, as we normally have in the past, in case you can't join us live, you'll still hear our post game instant reactions Saturday night, Sunday to get to, to close that game down and get you ready for the next game before we do our preview. So, uh, for that though, you can also follow us on Twitter at 23 personnel. You can follow me, Spencer at punts suck and Michael at Michael underscore LBK. You can also find us over on talk 103.9 Saturday mornings, what? 10 yes. to noon coming up Saturday, the fourth, we're going to be joining Rob Rose college tailgate show. Talk 103.9 FM 1340 AM be our third year on this show. You can really also looking forward to it. Stream at KKAM.com. Hang out with us, call in, text, just check it out. It's a pregame festivities uh, every Saturday morning, starting September 4th. 
be here before we know it. We'll um, jump on jump on the mics with Rob and just have fun for a couple hours. Speaking of jumping on the mic, Go watch some game with Rob. Did you hear uh, Gambling Gaucho's first episode? I did. New podcast. Y'all should check it out. Give him a follow on Twitter. It's Gambling Gaucho's. Only one G in gambling. And uh, they are... Get- there are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. (laughs) I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. Getting started, going to have some fun, uh, a betting angle for focused mostly on Texas Tech sports, but I'm sure they'll touch base on a bunch of college sports. But yeah, they had their first episode and they, they, to quote them, they pulled a 23 personnel. They just, they st- thought they were going to record for 20 minutes and they record for an hour 20, but it was great. That's it our was, move. I really, I really enjoyed it. So really did. If y'all check it out, I know they're on YouTube right now and I know Rob's working on getting them on their Spotify podcast feeds and Spencer, you know about that. I don't know anything about it. I just, you just tell me what time to turn on my computer and I just start talking. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, Rob Rowe and Kyle Jacobson. You guys all know Kyle from Taking the Planes. He and Hunter were obviously one of the the shows I was listening to before we started 23 Personnel that got me interested and motivated to start our own show. He's been on the show with us. He was all with us last week. He's got a great show over there, Gambling Gauchos. All right, Michael. Yes. Are you ready to talk some football? Fire that pigskin. Let's do it. They go four up top. They throw the fade to Fasher. Caught. Touchdown. With time. Delivered. Hand off. DeMarcus Fields. Down the sideline. Touchdown. Red Raiders. 97 yards. Harrell back to throw. Going deep down the sideline for Robert Johnson. And oh, he, my. You got it. Touchdown. Oh. Robert Johnson. Touchdown, Red Raiders. Take a shot to the end zone. to throw. Over the top, Jakeem Graham. Touchdown, Texas Tech. Second down now. Deep strike. Got the big man. Country! Horsley! And touchdown, Red Raiders. With a second to go. 
Got goosebumps, Michael. I'm pumped. <laughs> Excited. I didn't I didn't think I would be. I just felt so just drained after last season for multiple reasons. Oh, for a sure. lot of it was just the circumstances of life at the time. And then um yeah, just the just the way the season ended weird with our head coach and in quarantine and unable to talk and just nowhere. Anyway, I don't want to go down that whole memory lane, but I would just like to say I am excited. I'm excited for the yeah. return of tech football. So tonight we will do a little realignment update. Um, talk about some of the driving forces that may or may not have the conversation of where Texas tech may land. Um, We'll start our previews and predictions in earnest at least next week, if not the week after. It'll have to be next week because the week after is going to be preview week. Yeah, we got to be talking Houston in two weeks, so it's sneaking up, man. We got to put some. Week. We got to put some. Uh, some. I don't know. What do you Pen call paper? it? We're putting. Yeah, we're putting some paper down. Putting some. Put down some scratch. Money on the where boys. mouth is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, talk about. There's a open scrimmage this weekend fandemonium event that I think those taking the planes guys are going to try to get there this Saturday kickoff party. Um, and then wrap up with three things, Michael and I want to see from the 2021 season. Yeah. Um, let's jump back to realignment. There was a story that came out from the athletic and Andy Staples, right? Uh, well, Staples did the four million club. I think it was okay. Olson who talked about the alliance. So yeah, there's a possible alliance, Big Ten, ACC, Impact Twelve uh, scheduling alliance. Um, talking about trying to get more marquee matchups, trying to go after um, big television viewers. I mean, it the two are kind of connected in that way, but. Um, yeah, the one, um, I personally want to talk about the 4, four million club, but Michael, what, what do you, what do you see about the big 10 ACC pack 12 Alliance and what that means for realignment and expansion purposes? You, you know, you never want to be the one left behind and yeah, I, I don't want to notice there was no big 12 alliance. Yes. Yes. Uh, When this was all first coming out and everything was, was heading that way of the sec being the, uh, you know, luring UT and OU away during that time, I was taking everything with a lot more weight because it just seemed like it was imminent. Like, okay, well they're going to play one season and that's that. And, and, tech and everybody else have to, has to figure something out this week. You know, we got to figure something out in two weeks. We got to figure it all. And then you, once they actually formally requested and SEC invited them, it slowed things down. It, it made you realize, you know, okay, there is time on this. Supposedly they're going to continue to the 2025 thing. So what I'm trying to say is I'm not, I'm not going to allow myself to get too butt hurt over this, over the big 12 being left out of this because it may not matter in the end, you know, stuff, Discussions happening now, uh, if things truly go that long, may not matter. I, I mainly kind of wanted to bring it up just because it seems like it's it's more 
it's less about the Big 12 being left out and more about the th- those other three conferences trying to just get some weight in the room to compete with the SEC and what they're able to command and will and and um, you know what these three conferences and probably all four of the rest of them feel as if they're just trying to take over college football altogether. And it what, sounds like they're, they're trying these three, at least in this discussion to throw their hats in the ring and say, Hey, we're, we can fight this a little bit, but we've probably got to stick together in order to do it. Yeah. What, what I think is, is interesting is that the big 10 is not really in a position where they need to be going out and grabbing these things to make more money. They're already making the most money of any conference. Right. Um, but I think it's one of those things about being proactive and not letting the SEC gobble something else up and then pass them up while they Big Ten just sat still. Uh, it's the Pac-12 that really needs to be doing stuff about it. And they're the ones that are most, at least vocally, saying, no, nah, we're good. Yeah, and, they're and, extremely reluctant publicly. And even in the last round, like the last round of realignment, we're all like, Packed what like yes that they did pick up Utah and in and, and Colorado but like everybody's kind of sitting around I was like they're the ones that need to be ma- making a move like yes the the Big Twelve lost four teams and and they were kind of seen as 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 hurt by that but if my memory serves it was it it still kind of felt like well we're still ahead of the Pac twelve so there's that and even now the Pac twelve be like at least in terms of talking to the Big Twelve or remaining members are like, no, we're good. Yeah. So, yeah, I, the the only thing I kind of wanted to touch on on this as well was just, uh, Hoka did give a response to Don Williams in the LAJ and it was basically, he's, he said all he could say. He wasn't happy. He wasn't pleased about the big 12 being left out of those discussions and he's going to continue doing everything he can for Texas Tech, which is, that's what you've got to say. And he's, you know, went on to talk about how that's pretty much his entire life these last three, four weeks. And it will continue to be so for a long time. The one thing I wanted to point out, and I don't know if you knew this. I did you, did you see this before, Spencer? I didn't. But this, this what Michael's about to read gives me more confidence that the big 12 is really going to try to stick together. Um, because it makes a whole lot of sense for the, the remaining eight teams to one, make the, make Texas and, and Oklahoma stick it out through 2025. And if they don't to try to remain together, one to get their buyout and then two to get this point that Michael's about to make. Right. So Williams mentioned in his article, there was, of course, everyone knows that if OU and UT leave first, there will be 150 or $160 million buyout. And I think that's for both teams. So they would split that in some form or fashion. But what I did not know is this, that quote, on top of that um, buyout, the grant of rights agreements give the Big 12 dibs on television revenue from any SEC home games the Longhorns and Sooners play before 2025, end quote. So that's... I had no idea that even if the last two years, let's say they go to the SEC and play 2023, 2024 season there and any home game, that's an SEC game. Big 12 gets that money, gets that TV money. 
that makes me feel a little bit better about Tech's position and the rest of us little eight or whatever, uh, because that means they won't be left out as high and dry. Now, the SEC may combat that by scheduling Vandy, you know, in Austin and Kentucky and Norman, or, you, you know, and then that gets reserved over to ESPN two or, or whatever. And then the big 12 doesn't get as much money off of it, but it would be in their advantage, of course. And UT and OU want marquee matchups at home as quick as they can get them. But it, there's probably still a room, still some room for people to play around and, and try to screw somebody over to be oh, flat sure. honest. But I had no idea that the grant of rights would extend that far to where even if they're in a different conference, the big 12 would still get TV revenue on their home games. Well, and if the big, if, if that happens, the big 12 is going to need it, right? Our, yes. our member institutions are looking at a 60, 75% decrease in TV revenue. Unless, yes. you know, a Texas tech land, lands like a, one of these alliances or Pac-12 or something like that. Yeah, um, and my thought, my, you know, I'd always heard that as soon as UT and OU were gone, the revenue within the Big 12 itself would drop 50%. But if all, if UT and OU's home games are all part of that package, it can't drop that much. I would think 25 would be reasonable, but 50, I mean, if if they're the only ones that anyone wants to watch and the only ones, the only reason this conference exists and TVs exist, then if they drop down to roughly half the games that the Big 12 can get money on, then that to me would be like, if they're worth half the conference, then maybe they reduce the contracts by 25%. But I'm just doing rough, dumb math. So anyway, I just thought that was really interesting. That was the first time I'd seen it. Don Williams had that just kind of thrown in there. And then there's another big thing that came out. This was the one you were Real interested in yeah. talking about Spencer, and I am too, but it's uh, also from The Athletic. The Andy Staples had a really cool article about um, viewership and eyes and kind of this theory, basically, that's been floating around about the 4 million club, which is essentially just games with 4 million or more viewers. You know, it's, it's as simple as it sounds. And he looked at the games from 2015 through 2019, he did not include the COVID year, which is understandable. And well, Spence, I mean, you, you picked me, out some, you picked out some good stuff from there. I, I would argue that TV, like, I, I, I don't, I didn't, I didn't go back and look at the numbers. So I, I'm saying this just my, my assumption would be TV figures wouldn't be all that much different in 2020 versus 2019. You have fewer people going to the games. So, I mean, yes, we're, we're talking about a game that has 4 million viewers on the broadcast. And we're talking about 50,000 people that can't go. They're going to be at home. Like that's not that that's not, it's a small drop in the bucket. Right. But I, think I mean, part of it was just fall, the, sheer, we were, the weirdness of the schedules the number of games, you know, not every team was not every FBS team played 12 games. Oh and yeah. And we, we, we roasted Ohio state that for going stuff. through only playing six games last year. <laughs> yes. But okay. So yeah, so he looked at 2015 through 2019 uh, and, and compiled this list of teams and games that had more than 4 million viewers. And he broke it down. Uh, and he gave like a, a 
conference breakdown and then a team breakdown. Um, unsurprisingly, SEC led the way. Um, and the Big Ten was right behind it. Then the ACC, then the Big 12. Pac-12 was like even half of what the Big 12 had. Um, not surprisingly, I, I, I read this list uh, of the teams that had the most games of 4 million viewers or more. Alabama at one, Ohio State, Michigan, Auburn, Notre Dame, Florida, LSU. Like, okay, so that top list, what is that? Seven, five of the, or four of those are SEC teams. Clemson, mm-hmm. Georgia, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Penn State, Michigan State, A&M. I mean, the, Tennessee cracked the list and they weren't even good. They, they've got one fewer 4 million viewer game than Oklahoma, who has been on this ridiculous run the past six years. And, and one can kind of, and I don't know enough to argue it, but I will at least bring it up. The chicken egg thing. You know, if Texas Tech played on CBS and Fox and ABC, you know, four times a year, they're probably going to get a lot more eyeballs. Or, you know, it just kind of the fact that CBS went all in on the SEC in the 90s, that doesn't hurt. No, it didn't hurt their meteoric rise at all. And to to have a broadcast network. Right. Sorry, I keep interrupting. When when I was looking at 2020 numbers, those CBS games for. For last year, the highest rated game every week. Like, and it wasn't even close, which is ridiculous that the SEC won the one game that CBS gets a week. Now, obviously, they, they get to cherry pick the best matchups, right? But it was like seven, eight, nine, 15 million viewers for these games. Um, and it was just ridiculous. Now, I, I looked at some Big 12 numbers um, because one of Andy Staples points, I think he was talking about, he was making the connection back to that potential alliance with the big 10 ACC PAC 12 is like, well, the SEC is about to grab up a whole bunch more of these 4 million viewer games. I was like, hold on a second. How many did, did the big 12? Have? And I was, again, I'm using 2020 numbers and maybe that, that, that was a mistake, but the big 12 only had two games last year with 4 million or more viewers. Unsurprisingly, one was Texas and Oklahoma. That's at nearly 5 million, 4.81 million. And then Oklahoma, Oklahoma State was next at 4.1. And they're losing that, obviously. Yeah. And then there was, um, I, th- I think Texas, no, I think it was uh, Oklahoma, Iowa State was next on that list. And it was like 3-5. There was a huge gap. There were a bunch of games around two and below um, but I looked at the numbers well, one. So, so I said, okay, the SEC isn't really picking up that many games. Now it may, it may bump some of their existing games. I don't know how many Texas versus Arkansas games are going to draw like a whole bunch of fans or Missouri. Now Texas A&M. Yeah, that's a game. They're going to pick up. They're going to add a whole bunch of viewers, right? And yes, mm-hmm. they're going to, they're going to maintain that Texas Oklahoma matchup whole bunch of viewers. But I, I don't see them, the SEC picking up a whole bunch of these 4 million. I don't see them pick up a bunch more. Let's put it that way. I mean, I guess they, I guess they will because people are going to be more intrigued with an OU Texas A&M matchup um, or, you know, as opposed to Mizzou Texas A&M or something like that. 
I think that's going to probably burn a little hotter and get a little bit more eyes. And maybe just the novelty of it, right? Yeah. And or they'll force the eyes. You know, they will tell you that this is the game of the week. They'll put on CBS. You will watch it on (laughs) CBS because they do an excellent job on production value on CBS. It's just like the crisp, the crispest looking football on television is CBS is just fantastic. No, currently, uh, like, and I hate that they're, we're, we're going to lose them. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the thought of watching Oklahoma LSU in Death Valley on a Saturday night. Yeah. I want that. Or that's not bad. Or tax or either of them in Jordan Hare versus Auburn or Bryant Denny, like those top tier games or down in the swamp. Like those are fun. M- Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Missouri, Arkansas, Kentucky, Vanderbilt. No. Tennessee, maybe if they can continue to get better and like they, they return a little bit, but anyways, um, I looked at Texas tech numbers, uh, and cause this also went back to what Kyle had mentioned on the gambling gauchos podcast about how Texas tech had had some, some ground to stand on about, um, some of our, our viewership numbers in non Texas or Oklahoma games. And I'll let him just have that point, but what I went and looked at, I just looked at all of the numbers and kind of just ranked them top to bottom conference games, viewership numbers for last year. Texas Tech total was closing in on 11 million total viewers on broadcast last year. And remember, I was mentioning some of those games on CBS were 9, 10, 15 million each. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and I'm talking about our nine game conference schedule here. We Texas Tech averaged um, 1.34 million. I said nine game. There isn't data on the Texas Tech Kansas game, <laughs> which is um, it may be because it was so low. Or they just didn't want to report. It was the only game on FS2 mm-hmm. as well. And all of it, that was an issue there. So I'm really looking at the top eight games and an eight game average here. But your top game uh, in terms of viewership was versus Texas on Fox 2.72 million. Um, and while that was your highest most watched game, it was only the eighth most watched game of conference games in the big 12 last year. So already you're not at a great spot. <laughs> Yes. Your, your highest game was only eighth and it was against one of the teams you're losing. Second, not surprising, Oklahoma, also on Fox, 2.12 million. Then Oklahoma State, also 2.12 million, which I think that matchup and then how well Oklahoma State did. I don't want to, I don't want to tie yourself to Oklahoma State. Um, that was, again, another point that Kyle and Rob were mentioning as a point of strength for Texas Tech is you're not seeing Tech go out and say, we're working together. We're not, attaching ourselves to other schools um, like Baylor and TCU are saying that like Baylor and TCU are saying we're working together with Texas tech to stay together. No, we're not doing that. Baylor's saying that to like to stick to us or stick with us basically. Right. And you're not seeing Texas tech say that's the same kind of things. So I don't want to say you need to look at all of what Oklahoma state is doing. They, they performed really well um, on TV last year. Your fourth game, Iowa State, ABC, 1.38 million. Then it's, West- it's real quick. It's worth mentioning all four of Tech's top viewed games were all on broadcast. 
Yeah, there were Fox, 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 and ABC. And and who would have thought? And this is where I get the chicken egg thing. Who would have thought a hundred or one point four million people would tune into Iowa State versus Texas Tech? It's because it was on ABC. You know, if someone gives a team the benefit of the doubt and puts them on broadcast, people are going to watch it. Yeah, and 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 to to, 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 to back up your point. So your next team was on ESPN two. It's the only game you had on ESPN two last year was West Virginia, uh, almost 700,000. So there's a huge drop off between Iowa state on ABC and West Virginia on ESPN two massive. The matchup was so much better. Like it was a more entertaining game for everybody to watch West Virginia and Texas tech. You had half as many viewers. Yeah. And of course, Iowa state had an awesome year last year. So they that did. probably no, yeah. drives it and, that was probably why ABC chose that window. That helped a little bit, but that's this is a huge argument for Iowa State as well because they can look at this and go, "Holy crap, we played Texas Tech and had 1.4 million people watch, and supposedly no one wants to watch us." Yeah, and so they're saying the same thing over at, you know, 20, 23 personnel Ames. <laughs> yeah, and then we had three games on Fox Sports One FS1, and they're all almost identical numbers: Baylor, TCU, Kansas State between 557,000 and 585,000. And they are yeah, very close in terms of like ranks within the big 12. They were 32nd, 33rd and 34th in terms of most viewed. And then your Kansas game on FS2 had no data. Yeah. And that was the last game of the year. It was a 16, 13 slug fest, just missed field goal after missed field goal. For some reason, Spencer put himself back through that madness recently i think you would you watch the highlights or the whole game no i just watched the highlights and, and the was, highlights is there are there highlights from that game <laughs> it was because of this conversation this research that i was doing um i was like like the no data like it was like okay well well let, let me remind myself what happened and i was looking through some of the numbers like texas tech had a reported attendance of like nine thousand people there we all know the texas tech reports tickets sold rather than turnstile numbers it's like, there's no way you had 9,000 people in the stadium that day. Also, because it was FS2, it was like second or third tier add-on sports package that nobody had, like, and this terrible matchup. They may have just not reported numbers because it was so terrible. Um, the, the lowest reported uh, viewership numbers for the Big 12, not going to be surprised that it was um, a Kansas game. Let me see if I can find it really quickly. Michael, do you have any, any guesses about how many viewers? Which, which game? Okay. It's okay. a Kansas game. What, what is it? Kansas. Um, TCU Kansas TCU. was the lowest <laughs> reported viewer game. And this was on, on FS one. Okay. Oh, FS one even. Oh, mm -hmm. So I'll go two seventy five, two seventeen. Ooh, even lower. Okay. And Kansas is a smaller school. TCU is definitely a small school. There's smallest in the big 12. You know, I don't, I don't know if this was what you were trying to do, but I feel like I'm sure we've got a lot of Longhorn and Sooner fans listening to us. Reading off this list was probably, they're all screaming at us right now going, this is why Texas and OU wanted to leave. Because even against Texas tech, they could only get 2.3, you know, 2.7 million viewers. Whereas they could play anybody in the SEC and probably get almost that. Or, yeah. you know, if Texas plays LSU, they're going to get 
seven or eight million or something. So I think it's, I don't see it as being as huge of an upgrade for the SEC, but it probably will be for Texas OU. They're, they're going to, they're going to have a lot more people watching them every week than they than they were in the Big Twelve. I hate to say it, but I think it's true. Yeah. Um. So going back to your point of like, yes, you're you're going to cherry pick the the best matchups for the top tier broadcast rights. Um, I'm going to read off the top 10 games last year in terms of viewership. Uh, obviously UTOU was number one. Oklahoma, Oklahoma state was number two. Oklahoma state, Texas was number three. Oklahoma, Iowa state was number four. That was a big one. There was like, who's going to compete for the, the conference title. That was earlier into the season. Iowa State, Texas, number five. Iowa State, Oklahoma State. UT, West Virginia. UT, Texas Tech. UT, TCU. Kansas State, Oklahoma. Those are your top 10 most viewed games in the Big 12. So UT or or OU is in all of them? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. The first game that you get to, I mean, it's number 11. First game that's not a Texas or Oklahoma. It was mm-hmm. Kansas State TCU. Don't understand that one. Except it was on Fox. Just purples, purple hatred, I guess. Yeah. I don't I'm not really quite sure. Anyways. I'm I'm not I'm not super thrilled about our our, our chances of using our, our at least for 2020 TV data. I'm like, hey, we draw crowds. <laughs> but there, well, there, I, there was that that letter that came out from President Skuvenek today or yesterday saying the best thing that we can do right now for Texas Tech is to fill the stadium. And one way you can do that this weekend, Saturday, TTU Fandemonium scrimmage is underway. Uh, there's going to be some festivities starting at 1230 for the kids and for you young at heart and whatnot. <laughs> I think there's I, I think there's bounce houses and I'm not sure what else. Live music. Yeah. Some water burger, some uh, oh, I'm there some then. other stuff going on. So the, it's. The, the pregame stuff starts at 1230 and then there's the scrimmage actually starts at, at two. I'm going to try to go. Um, I might I think, bring my four-year-old with me and see how long she'll last. She may, she may enjoy it. Hopefully she will. And I think I saw that whether it was from Wells or just in, in the promotion, that's going to be a 60 or 90 minute scrimmage. So it's going to be a lot like the spring game. Um, yeah. I would assume, now, which I was unable to go, you know, a little bit more developed, um, teams here like and I, I would hope you don't get the same kind of like second half or just nonsense garbage time but at least early on you get to go watch fall scrimmage here two weeks before kickoff um you know you would hope to leave that feeling pretty good about the team but got your chance to go see that um and then the following week next week the 20 thursday the 26th Texas tech athletics kickoff party We'll be at the Sports Performance Center, 26 from 5 to 7 p.m. Matt Wells and Athletic Director Kirby Hoka will be speaking. You'll get music by Jack Ingram. Complimentary beverages, but you must RSVP at redordeclub.com slash events. Yeah, I, I think I don't think it costs anything, but it looks like it's a good way to get in there and take a look at the Sports Performance Center and see what all they've done there. I haven't made it in there yet you know we walked past it when we were going to the games but i don't think we actually got to go in but um yeah so a couple of ways to go check out some stuff this week and and um 
you know, support the Red Raiders best way you can. But we've got uh, a couple other things to cover too before we get into the rest of the football. I wanted to, of course, talk a little bit about Spotify Green Room. Oh my gosh. This is the live audio only sports talk platform. It's free to download and to use. You can talk to us, you can talk to other fans, athletes, insiders in real time. All you need to do is download the app. It's free in the iOS app store. You can create a profile. You can link your Twitter. You can join our group. You can follow me, Michael McDonald, or you can follow Spencer Rogers and show up with your spiciest takes. We're going to get in there probably every Saturday. Like Spencer said, we might try to do a set time, but it's hard to when kickoffs are late. But that'll, that'll be the plan is to try to record it that way and then be able to share that with you and have you guys come on, ask questions, brag about how great the offense looked or sigh about how certain things didn't go the way you wanted them to go. But anyway, download Spotify green room app free, create a profile, join our group, and then you'll be notified when we go live. All right. So I want to talk a little bit about some preseason camp, fall camp. Um, and okay. So honestly, I'm, I'm not sure what of the things I've been reading are behind a paywall or not, because I am a subscriber, paid subscriber to inside the red Raiders. And I want to respect the work that Jarrett Johnson and his team do. But I do know that he's been able to go to a lot of, uh, media only availabilities and watch practices, um, and, and report out there. It seems there's a lot of positivity on the offense and the transfers. Um, a lot of what we talked about a couple of weeks ago with the off season conditioning, like he's, he said, like I'm, I'm able to see that with my eyes on the field. I'm able to see them, um, moving around better. They look better. They're, they're competing better. The defensive line is, is better. He mentioned a lot of specific players. Um, and again, like I said, I'm, I'm going to try to respect that. I, I, I'm not sure if the report I last read was premium content or not, but basically you'll be able to see it too. If you go to the, the scrimmage this weekend, but one guy I wanted to point out, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later in our things we want to see this season. A guy that keeps getting mentioned is freshman tight end Mason Tharp and, and probably because of his size, but also because of just how well he's performed this, this camp. So first off, he's listed at six, nine between two fifty and two sixty. Yeah. Which is a true freshman, which is about where you see Marco Santos Silva listed at. So my thought is like, can he play basketball as well? I know. Do we need a little bit more length? There, you know, in the backcourt, maybe we give Mark Adams a call, see what he's up to. Instantly, uh, want to be, want to be, would be one of the biggest men on the team at that point. But <laughs> yes, he would. Uh, he's been impressing uh, not only as a receiver but as a blocker. And at that at that size, you, you you think about the the tight ends up at Iowa State, Charlie Kohler and Allen. I can't remember his first name. Those are also large human beings that are six seven plus that just ate your lunch and you're like Mason Tharp. Look, we have one of those. Not that Travis Koontz can't. Um, we saw, you know, he had some great catches and runs. He just wasn't utilized so much uh, in the offensive game as a pass catcher. 
but we we've heard from Matt Wells. Mason Tharp will get some playing time in game one. He's probably your, your second string tight end behind Koontz, but that's one of those guys like I'm really interested to see his role in the offense under Cumbie and what he's able to do, especially at that size. Yeah. And I think, you know, Wells is pretty set on him playing from game one on. I think he's, I think Koontz is the obvious starter, but as far as depth chart goes, I, I mean, I think Tharp is number two. Yeah. And, and even last year, I, I think you, you did like, yes, Koontz played the majority of the snaps at tight end. You did have the other guy that played, and I, I'm blanking on his name. He, he ended up leaving the program. Holcomb. Holcomb. John Holcomb played a lot um, as a freshman second string guy too. So, but yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't it's not, that's was, not uncommon for Wells to do that, obviously. And who knows? Maybe we'll see more with, you know, instead of just 11 personnel, maybe they'll play two tight ends out there on occasion. Maybe three. If, if we, if we see 23 personnel, I'm going to lose it. We're going to lose our, sh- we're going to replace gonna our, absolutely uh, lose it. Our, we, we had a long standing, um, like cover image on our social media platforms. And it was edited heavily to, to be obviously a spoof of like a 23 personnel package. We may not have to do that. Uh, yeah, and and probably just use an actual screenshot of, of a of goal a line game. package with, with 17 tight ends just lined up in a row. Yeah. When, when I, when I did watch some of the TCU game that they did line up, I was like, that's a goal line package. So yeah, they allow us, they allow us to add a few more. Yeah, for sure. All right. So, uh, I want to wrap up the football section tonight. Talk about three things we each want to see from this season. Um, Honestly, my, my first point came from a, a poll and some discussions I've heard from fan of the show, Rob Rowe. He had Pulse of the People poll, and we, we've mentioned it before, but the, he had a, what would you prefer, the defense give up 28 points or the offense score 38 points a game? Um, an overwhelming majority picked. They wanted the offense to score 38 or more points. But where I'm going is I want to see the defense give up fewer than 30 points a game this year. Okay, so does that mean that they have done that a lot lately? They've given up th- a bunch of points. So the um, <laughs> the last time you've given up fewer than 30 points, 2009. And it was 20, it was your best one that I found, 22 and a half points. Shout out yeah. Ruffin McNeil. Yeah. Um, it, I'm looking at these numbers. They're just bad. They're, They're three, so bad. Three years right there in the middle where you're like, you, I, I remember specifically thinking about like, it's comical. Like in the midst of it, it was like just smashing your head into a concrete wall. Mm-hmm. But it was comical just how bad it was. And it was paired with Patrick Mahomes. Like yes. you, your defense was giving up nearly 44 points a game. We somehow had the best third point or third down offense in the country and, and the, the worst, worst third down defense in the country. <laughs> it doesn't, exact it doesn't work time. that way. Yeah. But so last year uh, you actually had a, uh, you've been moving backwards slightly. Um, last year, t- 2020, you averaged giving up just over 37 points per game. 2019 was 32. Um, both years, you only won four games, 2018, uh, your lowest of Kingsbury's years outside of his first year. 31.1 points per game. You won five games. Um, 
His first year, 2013, 30 and a half points per game. But th- those games where you're down 30 or 31 points per game on defense, you're winning eight games a year. Yeah, uh, it, it makes a massive defense or defense, a massive difference. And I, I, we can't minimize that at all because even even last year, sure, 37, it might be skewed slightly because of only one non-conference game. Because you didn't have and, a 77 to zero game in there to skew well, it down. Yeah, and in that conference game, Tech allowed 40-something points, was it? I don't know. It was terrible. Yeah. 600 passing yards. I mean, they got carved up like Swiss cheese. It was just nuts. So that doesn't help, but it was what happened. So, I mean, I, I think to be able to to drop that down to the, gosh, I mean, I think realistically we would hope for 32 or 3 and and kind of get back into that to where it's it's not crazy. But, but yeah, I mean, if the, if the defense can allow fewer than 30, that'd be a huge win. So I think you're asking for a lot, Spencer, but I, I know, know. It, it, it feels weird to say, like, I'm asking for a lot to drop. You know, you said down, down to 33 or 34 points. That's changing a touch, like a possession from a touchdown to a field goal once per game. That's true. And to get it down seven points is changing, you know, either two or a possession from a touchdown to a punt or whatever. But yeah, there aren't a whole lot of big drops like that. Uh, You did see when from 2011, you gave up 39 points per game to 2012. You gave up 31. That was last year with, Tuberville, when he brought in Art Kaufman as a defensive coordinator, we were all kind of on board with his simplified 4-3 thing to really work out, especially after all the experimentation he had done with all the different guys before Kaufman. And then he left. But yeah, I want to see 30 or fewer points given up per game. Okay, you ready for my number one? Oh, I can't wait. I want to see... And this We, we didn't even know we were going to talk about the the large man that is Mason Tharp as much as we have, but we're going to anyway. I want to see increased tight end production, which is a thing we were promised. There's a tight end at every snap or whatever the heck it was the last two years. 95%. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever it was. Um, I ran some numbers and, you know, we've, we kind of go back and forth on, well, how much does COVID stats count? How much do they not? Or, or whatever, but at least these, the numbers I'm running, and I think most of what you're comparing to is a lot of apples, apples. So I looked at Texas Tech's tight ends last year versus TCU's tight ends, which feels like a pretty good comparison to me. And at first it doesn't sound good, but stick with me. So Texas Tech's tight ends combined, and it was just Koontz and Holcomb. They combined for 20 receptions on the year. So that's 20 receptions in 10 games. Now TCU, which they, they rotated three guys in, uh, Ware, Wells, and Lynn, they combined for 23 receptions. So only three receptions more. Now that doesn't sound appealing, but wait for it. One thing you know is that Tech was a pretty pass-happy team. So of those 20 receptions to tight ends, that only amassed for you know like 8% of all caught passes because tech threw the ball 200 or they had 259 catches for the year out of the 23 receptions for TCU TCU only had 164 catches for the year. So 
that was a lot bigger percentage, 14% versus eight going to your tight ends. Now, this is the kicker. Last year, Tech had 18 passing touchdowns. Only one was caught by a tight end, and that was a 75-yard blast from um, first or second play out of scrimmage on a, after a kickoff or something. Koontz just outran everybody. So and that was also had like a, a fluke. He also had a big, long reception. He, he didn't score on it, but a long reception against Oklahoma, too. Well, he, he had a 75-yarder somewhere, yeah. and I think it was the touchdown, but I can't remember. Um, anyway, so that was the, the one, the lone tight end touchdown at Tech was probably a fluke just because of the, the sheer athleticism of Koontz breaking away. Yeah, so one receiving touchdown out of 18, one, one of those receptions of 20 was a touchdown. Yes. For Texas Tech. Now we're looking at the TCU tight ends. TCU only had 11 passing touchdowns on the year. Five came from their tight ends. So what I'm hoping to see, because at first when I started looking through these numbers, I, I, I was really hoping to see something that just soup, you know, really jumped. There's not anything that really jumps as much as I was hoping, except for the fact that I think Cumbie's going to use the tight end a lot more in the red zone. It just makes, it's just that, uh, that's gotta be it. Right. I mean, well, and that's, you, that's what never made sense to me. You've got a guy like Kuntz who's that athletic who mm-hmm. can manhandle people and throw them around. Now, granted, sometimes had some butterfingers, but you know, at least you try to get him the ball in the red zone here and there. And I may talk a little bit more about red zone later. Um, but that was just, that was one of the things I, I was hoping to see in that I hope Cumbie can deliver. It's just a little bit more tight end production as far as not just, you know, pass protection or run blocking or, or whatever, just actually being a threat, being another receiver that these, that these backs, God help them, or that these linebackers probably more realistically will have to try to cover. And if you've got a six nine guy out there, that's got great hands and can run a good route, you can throw him, just throw the ball up in the air, a la Gronkowski or something in the end zone. You do it. Yeah. And I I think Cumbie may be more likely to do that than Yost was. I hope. That's well, what I hope. And and when I talk about Mason Tharp being 6'9", like there's nobody on the field that's going to be that big on defense. Gosh, like, no. Your, your biggest people covering are going to be linebackers, that he's going to have six inches or more height difference on. Yeah. So, and he's going to have, you know, 60 pounds on a six, even if there's like a six, three <laughs> cornerback back there. Yeah. Which that's just, kind of rare. That's rare too. I mean, it's just, I hope they're utilized more. That's, yeah. that's what I'm getting at. And I'm a little bit comforted to see that Comey did appear to do just that. Yeah, especially in the red zone. All right, yep. what I want to see uh, on, for the offense is just being able to be on the field more consistently. And how, how you're going to be able to do that is convert third downs. Last year, you were one of the worst teams in the con well, in the country in converting third downs and staying on the field. You were 106th in the country, yet you were still seventh in the Big Twelve. You had four hey, teams behind grade. you, or three teams behind you. That were even worse. Um, when you've got teams like Oklahoma State last year that was best in the country at getting off the field on third down, and TCU was like third in the country 
and, and getting off the field on third down. Like you have to be able to keep, keep the ball moving. Um, and you do that by getting yards on first and second down, right? We, we, we all love the skill positions at Texas tech. Um, and it, it's been weird to say this past few years, your running back room is ridiculously loaded. Shrodrick Thompson yes. is really good, but guess what? Taj Brooks was really good last year. It's going to be even better. Xavier white dude can do everything. Like he's going to be that guy that will allow you to flex between like a two back set and five wide without having to make any substitutions on the field because he's that versatile. Um, uh, to Darius Townsend, Townsend too. Yeah. He had a, like it was in, in garbage time against Oklahoma, but he had a really impressive run for a touchdown against the Sooners. Like he broke free and ran away from everybody. Like he was fast. He's supposed to be bigger and faster this year. And then you got freshmen coming in like Cameron Valdez supposed to be really good too, but like you probably won't need him because you've got Thompson and Brooks Towns yeah, there's white. There's a chance. I mean, I think that the next it should be about I saw that it's about a week away from another update because I think Thompson's having his x-ray evaluation next week. Um, so who knows? But yeah, you might you might see Cameron Valdez. You never know. You might see him come in uh in Houston if if Thompson's not able to go, they might roll three in. Um I, I don't know. I'd be I'd be kind of surprised if they play three or four, I guess really. Yeah. But um you converted I'm 30, not really sure. Yeah, you converted thirty three percent of your third downs last year. I think Alabama was first at like fifty eight percent. It's because they got the yards in first and second down. They had short third downs. Um, yeah. I want to see you upper thirties into the forties. So, well, here's here's where I'm going. My item number two. We need to see more pressure on the quarterback. I could not find any QB hurries because I know that that is kind of a more accurate measure. You know, just to, just because a guy was sacked doesn't mean he wasn't hurried like three times before that and made some mistakes or whatever. But the the only concrete evidence I could find a kind of like a metric to measure this is sacks. Uh, so last year, Texas tech was tied for 93rd in the country in team sacks for 17 total. Uh, that's only 1.7 per game. Same as the UT oddly enough. So UT wasn't getting to the quarterback much last year either, but you know who was, OU was, yeah, they were and, OU was a pretty dang good team. They were number six in the country. They had 39 total sacks, more than double what Tech had. And that 3.6 per game, that, you know, that average is a little bit different because, yeah, they played more games than Tech did. <laughs> so that's, that's why 39 divided by 10. It's not divided by 10 for them. But I, I just kind of show that as a reference of even teams that are known for their offense, if they can get pressure to the quarterback, that's going to just throw everything in, in their way. And then you're going to get those bad third down outings. You're going to get those third and 11 that you just talked about, or, you know, you, you're going to be in the the good side of that mm -hmm. and, and get that going. So I would love to see some more pressure on the quarterback. It seems like at times last year, guys had just all day to throw. They couldn't even get pressure on the kid at Houston Baptist very well. Um, Zappy. 
yeah, it, you know, that was, that was tough, a tough hang, but you know, they've, they've done some moving around. I think they've got, um, you know, what did they do? They, they've got Hutchings and Bradford playing nose tackle right now, uh, flanked by Tyree Wilson and Banasaur. I really like Wilson. Yes. So I, I mean, I think those guys can disrupt things of course. And then some of the best linebackers in, in the conference, really good group of, of linebackers. So if, if they draw something up to where they can rush and blitz a little bit, then they might be able to, uh, get a little bit better job on that than they were able to last year. But that, that would just kind of stuck out to me. It just seemed like, you know, one, 1,000, two, 1,000, three, it just, the quarterback's just make, kind of like bouncing around, just making reads and ah, come on guys, yeah. <laughs> get, get to him. So that's what I hope to see more pressure on the quarterback. So that number of 17 sacks, there was a total sacks for 2020 last year. It reminded me that 2009 defense that I, I talked about a little while ago, 22 points per game. Uh, Brandon Sharp defensive end, I think had 16 or 17 sacks by himself <laughs> that year. See, we don't get those guys very and, often. And he also had the, the other defensive end, that also had a, a, like a, at least a dozen sacks. Uh, Howard or I'm stuck on Eli Howard. That, that's that's not his name, but that it was like totally a, not it. It was it was a dude that played opposite him. Um, you know, like I said, stuck on Eli Howard. Okay, so with that more pressure on the quarterback, my third is more takeaways this year. Um, we've heard constant preaching about this defense is built to force and capitalize on takeaways. You had a a pretty good year in 2019. You averaged uh, 1.7 per game. Good for 29th in the country. Big step back last year. Only averaged 104th. You, you got to bounce back. You got to take the ball away from your opponent more often than once per game. Yeah. And it, that doesn't mean it needs to be a game plan. Like it's felt like it has been for a few years. Like that's the only way tech can stay in the game is to get more turnovers. Maybe don't game plan around it, but um but get more, <laughs> you know, still, still try to do it, do what it takes to get more. Yeah. And that could happen too. If there's a little bit more pressure on the quarterback, they make mistakes yep. back there. Or if there's someone back there, when a handoff is, is fumbled to a, a running back, then more likely you know, that's going to end up in your hands. Yeah. I mean, if you've got some pressure there, then it's, it's going to work your way a couple of times that way too. So if the coaches will just listen to us, it'll be fine. For sure. Uh, the other thing I had, which I have a lot more stats here than I'm going to read because this is a lot. I've already thrown a lot of numbers at y'all anyway. So I'm going to keep it short on this, but I want to see red zone improvement. Um, if you go to stakeintheplains.com, you can see all these other stats that threw in here about red zone offense and defense. But the main thing I wanted to just point out, Tech was 105th in red zone offense last year, which means only 76% of the time they got into the red zone they put up any sort of points. Now, part of that's because they were terrible at field goals until all of a sudden Garibay came in and he was good for a game or two. So there's still, you know, something to be said there that could be part of it. Um, but just kind of to compare Kansas state, a team that tech has just really had trouble beating in recent years. They were fourth last year. If they got in the red zone, they scored 94% of the time. They had 33 attempts in the red zone, same as Tech. What blows my mind, though, OU, was well, they were only 13th. I say only. 
but they had 59 attempts in the red zone. So maybe not only should we have better red zone improvement, but let's just get there more often. Let's you score know? more points. What do you say, guys? <laughs> let's do it. That seems like a good idea. Um, red zone defense, kind of the same thing. Tech did a little better in that overall compared to other schools. They were tied for 78th. They allowed a score of some sort 86% of the time. Um, so, I mean, that's that sounds worse than it is because – Iowa State, who we would agree is probably the best defense in the Big 12, they were the best, or they were the 17th best in the country in red zone defense, allowing 74% uh, scores. So it's, even how, no matter how good they were, they still were allowing it um, to happen on them, on their watch as well. Just, Just not quite as much. So I would like to see some improvement there on the defense. I'm not as... I'm not harping on the defense as much as I am the offense, man. But because if you're getting in within that, uh, you know, 20, 25 yards of that end zone, you've got to put some points on the board. You've got to do something. We can't come away with nothing 25% of the time, which is what was happening. Yeah. So we also pose this question to you guys. Um, what, what are some of the things that you as Texas Tech fans want to see? Uh, and this was our, our question of the week. Uh, Justin Dorsey, field goal attempts on third down. Oh. And maybe it, it's an improvement from taking a field goal on second down. We'll see that TCU. coming. Um, Brandon says, bowl game beat Texas and home sellouts. Yes, please. That's Dolphin. a great point. That was something Skubanek mentioned today, and you may have touched on it slightly. That, And I think I've thought this, but haven't said it out loud. That's one way to show how much value Texas Tech has as a program and for a a potential suitor conference or if we're going to go big American or whatever it is, big angry American, um, you know, the sellouts. I think what Brandon said there is, is really important. So if, if you can, and I'm talking to myself to try to get to the games, show as much interest as you can, um, you know, DVR the, the game, even if you're there, (laughs) <laughs> do whatever you can Show to, as to a viewer. Get, get those numbers up. <laughs> yeah. Alex just says wins. Yeah, man, yep. you, you, you won four games last year. Uh, you may have had a shot at six wins. Had he had a full schedule? Um, and then obviously we talked about this, the boneheaded decisions and the, the opportunity you had to be making these decisions because just bad spots, but Alex wants more wins. Dip chip balance, reliability, discipline. Those are nice. Brent McKay, better quarterback play, which I'm hoping we're going to get from Shuck. It seems like it's his job to lose. Um, still haven't been named the starter. Better defense. We've been saying that for a long, long time. Better coaching decisions. Yes. Going back to the field goals or giving up uh, a On possession. Kicks or so, okay. I, I, I had this thought and you just reminded me of that when you said onside kicks. And probably because they're just, there's such a, a horrendously bad moment uh, and, and momentum, all that kind of stuff. I was watching replays or highlights of, of, of a game today in Texas Tech. I think it was against Oklahoma State. Attempted an onside kick and it got returned, Oklahoma State. returned for a touchdown. I was like, I can't believe the historic bad luck that Texas Tech has on attempted onside kicks that get returned for touchdowns. Like it's one thing to do, attempt a bunch of onside kicks and never recover them. But Texas Tech attempts onside kicks and they get returned on you for touchdowns. Like I think Iowa state's done it. Baylor's done it. Oklahoma state's done it. 
I kind of get the, no, I kind of don't because I think tech had just scored and gone ahead in Stillwater. And I get the or they had sort of the aggressive months. thing yeah. of going for the onside right after the score. And then, but, but then again, I don't because then all of a sudden, Oh, now you're behind again. Yeah. Like it's, it's easy to, to question like, well, look, look what just happened. Like, well, why would you do an onside kick? I, I like the aggression, right? Yeah. The execution and how very poorly it turned out for you. is like, well, that was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Ken Moyer just says beat UT. Um, Matt Curio score more points than the other team. Chris Velasco yes. stay healthy, win the close games, Alamo Bowl. I would love to go to the Alamo Bowl because that usually means you've won eight, nine, ten games. And win the close games. Tech was in several close games last. Mm-hmm. Well, the whole time Matt Wells has been here, we've talked about his record in one possession games and how it's not good. So winning the close games that's huge. Yeah. If if we can do that, Chris, we're going to be in pretty good shape. Dustin Besner just says three wins. I don't want to go be, I don't want to be going backwards here, Dustin. Well, I think he asked for three things. We asked for three things and, and he wants three (laughs) wins. So let's, what if, does he want three wins? So let's, let's take, let's take the wins. Um, like if you're just gonna give me three wins, give me Texas, Oklahoma, Iowa state. (laughs) I don't know. I think I'd want to be Houston. I mean, so, well, no, I'm not saying those are your only wins, but like if I'm going to okay. pick wins, because we'll, we'll get into this next week, Iowa state is going to be a problem again. Yes, sir. They're Absolutely. returning 19 or 20 of their starters from Tight last ends. year. No, just starters. So oh, like okay. Everybody's okay. coming back. Now they don't have great wide, wide receivers. Brock Purdy, Brees Hall, Charlie Kohler are going to be enough to give you nightmares anyways. Oh, absolutely. Oklahoma is going to be a nightmare. Texas, I just want to beat them more. They're unknown. They're, they're kind of an unknown, but... Because they have a new coach, new quarterback. Like, everything's new for them. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a, a whole different vibe for them going on. <laughs> but I think the... You know, working against tech this year is they it's tech goes to Norman and goes to Austin. So that's it's gonna be a very friendly environment for your Sooners and your Longhorns. Um hosting them in Lubbock would feel a lot different this year. So they get oh, for sure. they get to skate by free on that. I don't know if the vitriol will be quite as quite as pointed a year from now, but it might be. We'll just have to see. Hey, thanks for all the questions, guys. Yeah, it was great. Really, let's uh let's or, or not questions, but thanks for chiming in. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh Let's wrap this up with what we learned. Um, let me go first really quickly, Michael. Go ahead. So I, I, I'm attaching this to a boomer, but it doesn't have to be like, it's not specifically for boomers. It's just that this happens quite a bit at work for me. And it's one of the things that just drive me crazy when somebody will email me. And before the email leaves the outbox, they're on their phone calling me. Hey, I sent you an email. Have you read it yet? Or, Hey, I sent you an email. I know you haven't seen it yet, but let me talk about everything that I just said into my email. It's like, give me a second to read it and digest it and form some thoughts. I'm, I'm somebody that like, I don't operate like on the spot is not where you get my best idea. That's right. You see the sweat just like forming on my head. <laughs> like, I need to internalize it and think it out just a little bit, come up with a couple of ideas and say, no, that wouldn't work. But this is how, like, I, 
I build and develop, but it will take me a minute or two to get going. Don't call me. And then like, okay, Spencer, what do you think? It's like, I haven't even had a chance to read the dang email. We had this situation come up at work and it happened a lot. There was a lot of back and forth between, um, our HR department, uh, a CEO of one of our, our hospitals, the legal department, we're writing a statement, all this kind of stuff is happening. A lot of pushback, a lot of revisions. And like it was email, then immediate phone call, email, phone call. It's like, stop. Let me like read what you're going to talk to me about. That it happens me, to me too. And oddly enough, you know, you mentioned sometimes it's people a little bit older than us that do that. But in my in my profession and in my instance, it's people my age and younger that just can't, they need that instant. They need to know right then. I just sent you this I, attachment. I just sent you the, what do you think of that? What, what are you talking about? I'm not even at my desk. And like, like they page me and I'm in the break room getting coffee or something like, uh, so okay, hang on. And then you go to your desk and they want to talk to you. And it's the same thing that you experience. Hey, I just sent you an email and I'm like, uh, okay, I don't even see the envelope in the bottom right of my screen yet. So I have to go there. I have to open Outlook. I have to refresh Outlook for the yeah, email to show up. I have to up. go up into the refresh folders, like send and receive folder. Like, oh, and look, the there whole it is. time they're talking me to me about this thing they sent me and it's some visual thing that I need to look at. And I'm like, I don't even have it open yet. <laughs> Hang on a second. Yeah. So yes, I'm not a fan of that either. Um, Something else I've learned, unfortunately, that I don't think I can be a fan of are baseball caps that are not dad hats. So what's a dad hat, Michael? A dad hat is basically a really comfy cap. It's just, it's a a hat with not very much structure. It kind of lays flat on your head. So it's just a baseball cap that, that probably most people that grew up in the 90s and early 2000s wore. So that's a dad hat. It, so for some reason, it's I'm, not a flat brim. It's a curved brim. I'm thinking about the brand 47. It, yeah. Yeah. Usually 47 brand. Yeah. That would be a great example because I have like five of those. <laughs> I'm looking at my, my hats. I'm like, do I have one over there? No, I, I've got, I've got the trucker hat from the Rob Rowe, uh, Carson Robinson radio show hat. Yeah. That's yeah, see, fairly. And, but I've seen you wear like some, some flatter brim caps with like some structure on the front and you can get by with it. I can't. And I've bought some recently because a friend of mine went into making some hats and I really like the hat and I got it and I'm looking at it. And I'm like, this thing's gorgeous. And I put it on my head and I look like a total idiot. <laughs> well, I, I just can't pull it off. It is. He's one of my best friends from high school. It's a great hat, but I do not think I can pull it off. I just think I look like I'm trying to look like an adult. <laughs> so I've gone is, is just maybe because of the, the styles when I first started wearing hats, I had the ultra curve bend in the bill. Where it was like, it came to like, a point basically. You got like the um, rubber bands and you put it in a yeah, glass I had jar. Like, I had like a, a hat shaper thing. And I, I don't do that anymore. The, the Rob Rowe hat probably has the most defined bill that I, I wear these days. Um, I do, I do have a lot of those, those fitted, flat bill baseball caps that I wear. But what I do is there, I don't leave them flat because I don't like that look on me is I'll grab them right where the bill comes basically above my temple. And I'll kind of push mm-hmm. it down for you. So I get a, a very subtle bend to it. It's a flat bill cap that has a little shape to it. It's not curved. It's not flat, but it's 
little fitted, but like, yeah, I've, I've got a bunch of baseball hats, one from the little league teams, but also I'm starting to pick up just hats because I like the design on them. Like mm-hmm. I've got a round rock express alternate logo chupacabra hat. Like they, they, because minor league baseball is just way too much fun. Yes, they, they have, yes, they are. <laughs> they have an alternate uniform where they're the chupacabras and it's a black hat with like a neon green bill and a, their design on the front. It's just, it's a lot of fun, uh, but I've got like Cubs and Tigers and Rangers and Dodgers from all the years we played baseball and just being a Rangers fan. Yeah, they're flat and I just push in on the temple a little bit until it gets a little bit of shape. It's fitted to me. Well, it's actually of all the things, it's not the bill that's, it's you know, more, it take, yeah, it's taking me some adjustment to get used to a bill that's not curved as much as I normally would do it. But it's also just, it's the, the structure right where the logo is. Like the, the billboard of effect of the hat <laughs> itself. It's just straight up. And I, I, maybe I'm self-conscious about the size of my head. I don't think it's a very big head. Well, so I've and, got a small forehead too. So like, well, and I have no hair, so a, I'm used to there not being much above, like there's nothing visual above my eyebrows except some scalp. And so then when I put on one of these hats that's that's tall like this, I feel like I'm, like I've gained, like, I don't know, true, I'm, I'm three inches taller all of a sudden. Because I've got some some pretty thick hair too, so like, yes. I, I've got some height above my, my eyebrows where you don't, like, if, no. if I was bald like you... I would probably have similar feelings because like, because of my, my hair is so thick, it stands up a little bit on, on top of my head. Whereas yeah, and so people are used to seeing it. Like, it's that yeah. same shape and that profile. It's that same shape and that same profile. And people are used to, including myself, my eyeballs are used to seeing me just as a bald man. And so I like the hats with like no shape. They just like lay on top <laughs> of my scalp. They just sit there. And, and then, you know, you get these other ones that they, gosh, they look so cool and they're so crisp and clean. And I put them on my head and I just, I'm just like, that's not working. That's, that's not going to work. I may have to model some for you someday. So that, Oh, I'm looking forward to it. You know what I should do? I'll bring them up to the, to the Rob bro, uh, planning college tailgate and, Oh, yeah, we're going to have a planning. I wonder where (laughs) we're going to do that. But, um, I'll I'll bring some there and maybe I'll model them for you and y'all could just laugh at me and be like, yeah, that that's, those aren't for you, my man. Yeah. All (laughs) right. So that was, uh, not our usual, wrap up there we talk about food because this is where food and sports clash the goal line right 23 personnel we went fashion for you we did fashion fashion forward staking the planes roots there um next week we're going to be talking about our predictions going into the season maybe have a, a crossover with gamma gauchos for michael i'm spencer we'll catch you next time Thank you for listening to the 23 Personnel Podcast and sharing our fandom for the Texas Tech Red Raiders. You can connect with us on Twitter at 23Personnel, Spencer at PuntSuck, and Michael at Michael underscore LBK. And find even more great content over on stakingtheplanes.com. Help us out by rating the show and leaving a review on iTunes and subscribe on whatever channel you listen to podcasts. Remember to tell your friends about the show. The guys will be back next week with another episode. And until then, guns up and let the tortillas fly.